0: Now I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 5. Judges chapter 5, we're reading verses 1 through 31. If you were here last week with our study of uh, chapter 4 with Deborah and Barak and the defeat of Sisera, you may have a real sense of deja vu this evening. Chapter 5, Judges chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of God. Then sang Deborah and Barak the son of Abinoam that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Ser, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped, water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, travelers kept to the byways, the villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way to the sound of musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in a song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble, the people of the Lord, March down for me against the mighty From Ephraim, their route, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Machir marched down the commanders, and from Zebulun, those who hear the lieutenant's staff, who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar, faithful to Barak, into the valley, they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death, Naphtali too, on the heights of the field. The kings came. They fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought, from their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. March on, my soul, with might. Then loud beat the horse's hoofs with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Miraz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women, B.J.L., the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He asked water. She gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell. Dead. Out of the window she peered. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princess's answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera? Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But your friends will be like the sun as he rises in his might, and the land had rest of 40 years. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. In many ways, uh, the kind of passage we're not really accustomed to reading or studying, thinking about. Uh, Father, we pray for your help as we look at these verses tonight. Pray that you would lead us into a good understanding of them when we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in high school, I was in band, and when I was in band during football games, it seems like we played Celebration by Cool and the gang ad nauseum. Came out in 1980, early on in my high school career. And of course, the irony of it all was our football team gave us next to nothing to celebrate, uh but we played it and we celebrated nevertheless because it was friday night and our band was good and we were young and all of life was ahead of us celebrate good times indeed as people like to celebrate like to celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and victories triumphs accomplishments well here we have a celebration you can hear here coolin the gang playing in the background well, they were old, they weren't that old, but uh, you get the sense this was meant to be sung uh, as they rehearsed and celebrated what the Lord did in the, in the victory over Sisera and uh, in, in delivering his people and bringing them into a place of rest for decades after the oppression that they suffered as we look at these verses, it, it in many ways, it almost defies organization, and yet it is organized. There, there are certain themes that arise through it, and so we'll look at it, not necessarily every word, but we'll look at it more in terms of the themes that, that pop up in different sections as we go through it. The first section has to do with the triumphant Lord, and, and rightly so. This was a victory that the Lord gave to his people, however it came about on the human level. Uh, However the human instruments were at work, ultimately it is the Lord who brought about this victory and and delivers his people. If you're familiar with Exodus, you you read chapter 5 as following as it does chapter 4, and you can't help but be reminded of the celebration of Miriam. Uh, after the crossing of the Red Sea and the destruction of Egypt's army. And you know, after that happens, there's a whole chapter devoted to the celebration of that event. Very similar to this, although, of course, this comes much later. Uh, but it is it, it, not only in the life of Israel, but a whole chapter out of the book of Judges is given to celebrating this victory that the Lord has given his people. fact, it almost sounds a little bit like uh, the Exodus, and there's some reference to that uh, in verses 4 and 5. It begins, of course, just pointing out that Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, sing this song. Um, But we look at verses 4 and 5. Lord, when you went out from Ser, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled, the heavens dropped, and it's not unusual language, you see that in other places. For example, in the Psalms, Psalms 18. Psalm 18 particularly talks about uh, those kinds of things, these, this cosmic upheaval as the Lord begins to move. The mountains quake before the Lord, and that's a very specific event. Verse 5, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. You know, when God acts, the earth shakes. Things start to happen when when God begins to act. Um, but, it was important for him to act because things were bad. You, know, you get some sense of how bad they were in, in verse 6 and 7. Uh, the highways were abandoned. It was dangerous. It was dangerous to be out. Travelers kept to the byways, the less traveled roads. The villagers ceased to be. Uh, there were new gods, verse 8. Uh, war was in the gates, and yet Israel was largely unarmed. They, they, they didn't have much in the way of weapons. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? In Deborah's reflection, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people, and so weakly armed, so so unprepared in a sense for what they faced. And yet the point here is that the same God who acts at Sinai who reveals himself at Sinai, makes the mountain shake, is not limited to Sinai. He's not stuck there. He's the God who continues to act on behalf of his people. He not only comes to Mount Sinai, but he comes to Mount Tabor. You see that in verses 14 and 15, describing the presence of the Lord, the Lord moving with his people where they are there in battle. People couldn't travel. They didn't have defenses, and yet the Lord acts on behalf of his You know, as you think about that, you can't help but think of how often that's the case. How often God delights to show his strength, to show his power in the the weakness of his people. That he's the protector, that he's the warrior, he's the one who goes out and fights. So that even in the Old Testament, you often see God doing things in such a way that the weakness of his people is emphasized so that the the strength of God is glorified. You know, the first thing they do when they cross into the promised land is they undergo this whole ritual of circumcision. They renew the covenant. They they were vulnerable. They were exposed to the Canaanites. And yet the first thing they do is honor the Lord by renewing their covenant and receiving the covenant sign. So they were somewhat incapacitated for a few days. Uh, And then the the way that they take Jericho is, is to march around the city. Israel had nothing to do other than obeying the Lord's instructions and marching around the city. Of course, later on, even in the book of Judges, you see how the Lord uses Gideon and deliberately whittles down the numbers who were there uh, to where it really is humanly ridiculous because the Lord wants to demonstrate that it is his power in which his people trust, not their might, not their strength. As it says, with shield or spear to be seen even among 40,000. You get the get the people there, but they just didn 't have much to to fight with now, of course, you move into the New Testament, and the same thing is is true. You think about the apostle paul uh, and especially in second Corinthians, uh, which is is a very personal book for paul, as We saw and we study here on Sunday night sometime back uh, but at the at the beginning of the book, he talks about how they were uh, in such dire circumstances that they despaired even of life itself. But he says this was so God could show his power, could show his goodness and his sufficiency in our distress. And, of course, he ends that book later on by talking about um, the horn in the flesh and his appeals to the Lord to remove it. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness, well, that's not something new with Paul, just like we saw this morning. The gospel is not something new with Paul. Well, God showing his power through the weakness of his people goes all the way back into the Old Testament and certainly here. This is about the triumph of the Lord, not the cleverness of J.L. so much, not the strength of the armies of Israel, certainly, uh, but about the Lord's power in his people's weakness to demonstrate his ability to deliver them, to rescue them. But then the next thing that this this song of victory focuses on is the valiant human leaders that, yes, God did use. Uh, God works, but he works through means. And he does that here. Verse 2, that the leaders took the lead in Israel. What a concept. That the people offer themselves willingly to follow their leaders. Bless the Lord. It's a good thing. Hero kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I'll make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. The valiant leaders. Well, we pick that up uh, as, you, as you go along. Uh, move on down into verses 10 and 11, especially the end of verse 11. Then down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. And they did so under the leadership of two figures, both of whom are named here, because we encountered them in chapter 4. Awake, awake, Deborah! Awake, awake, break out in a song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abin-Oam. Now, there were others who marched with them. They were the leaders. They were the instigators of this, uh, this, this battle against their oppressors. But notice then in verses uh, 13 and following, the, the various tribes or other groups that were involved or not involved, in all of this, uh, there were those who, who joined in, who did follow the lead and were involved. Notice uh, verse 13. Then down marched the remnant of the noble, the people of the Lord, marched down for me against the mighty. Who were they? 14, the tribe of Ephraim. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley. Again in verse 14, Benjamin. Following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. And then also Zebulun. Uh, verse 14, from Machir marched down the commanders and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. And again, verse 18, Zebulun is a people who risk their lives to the death. Naphtali in verse 18, Naphtali too, on the heights of the field. And so there's a celebration of the, of the, these valiant leaders, uh, who led the people. Of course, we know in, in, in chapter four, Deborah had to sort of put her foot and Barak's back and give him a kick out the door and get him going. He said, well, I won't go unless you go with me. Uh, and so they, they they lead together. And Barak is the military leader uh, there. So they're both mentioned. But then these other tribes that, that join in and follow them, and weak as they are, go into battle. Dangerous. Verse 18, Zebulun risked their lives to the death. But there were also some disappointments here. Some you might have expected better of. Uh, verse 15 uh, mentions well, some others. Issachar came with Deborah. Issachar faithful to Barak. Another of the tribes into the valley. They at his hills. But the disappointments among the clans of Reuben there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of hearts. It seems like they thought a lot about it, but they had other other concerns. They may have talked about going, thought about going, but, you know, it just wasn't a good time to leave the sheep. Verse 16, why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Seems they were preoccupied with taking care of the sheep to really get involved, although there were great searchings of heart over this. They just didn't do anything about it. Uh, Gilead, you see in verse 17, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Maybe the Jordan was swollen. It was flooded. Maybe it was just too hard to cross. They just stayed on their side of things. They didn't get involved. Uh, Dan and Asher, just too busy with their trade. See verse 17, Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Uh, they they were you know, they 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 had their dead to bury and so forth. They couldn't follow, uh, so they were they were busy, didn't get involved. Now we get this miraz verse twenty three. They are cursed for their inactivity. Cursed miraz says the angel, of the Lord curse its inhabitants thoroughly because they didn't come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against. The mighty, They stayed put. And while we don't know much about it, it does seem that Israel seemed to have expected they might have some help here. There might be a reason that they should expect maybe a favor uh, to be returned. But Meraz didn't do anything, and so a curse is pronounced on them. And so you see, the leadership leads, and there were those who followed. And that's good. That was effective. That's a good thing when the leaders lead, when the people follow their lead, when people lead well, lead rightly when the leaders uh, lead rightly and the people follow it. But there were those who didn't lead. There were those who sat back, those who did not get involved. And We mentioned that God is the deliverer, but that doesn't mean that his people are to sit idly by. There were those who marched, those who did have to leave otherwise legitimate concerns and, and risk their lives in these battles that took effect. And You'll remember from chapter 4, that the uh, the death of Cicero took place actually when he was running from the battle. But there was another battle that was going on. And we not focus on his death, but there was a lot more going on as well. But there were those who sat back and did not get involved. Which if we want to ex- extend that to our own time, we just recognize that God is at work. Jesus said, I will build my church. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a role to play, that we just sit idly by and watch and uh, that we're not involved. God calls on us to be involved. He works through our involvement, through our efforts, through our faithfulness, through our risks, and uh, and uses that and blesses that and glorifies himself in bringing about victory. But we are to participate actively in his work. Uh, we don't want that curse of Meraz placed on us, not coming to the help of the Lord, not coming to the help of the Lord against the mighty. We don't want to be those who sit on the sidelines. We want to be those who are involved in the work of the Lord, whatever that might look like. Well, in verses 24 through 30, the focus then turns to just two figures. The two women, two women who are involved here. And first, there's a tribute to J.L. There's a tribute to Jael beginning in verse 24. Uh, several things are noted about her. Most blessed of women is B.J.L., the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. She's a tent-dweller. Uh, and, and looking at the situation in Israel as it's described, that's not really surprising. Uh, her, how shall we put it, her, her uh, deception, uh, she lures Sisera in like a trap. He asks for water. She does him one better. Gives him milk. More than that, she gives him curds that brought in a noble's bowl. She treats him well. And uh, again, 26 and 27, you probably picked up on this, kind of goes into slow motion. Because Israel wants to savor this part. You know, if they had it on video, this is the part they would watch and rewatch. They'll see it again. You know, because it really sl- even here, even in the in the poetic description of it, it really slows down. You know, down to each movement, focusing in, zeroing in. She set her hand to the tent peg, and her right hand to the workman's mallet. You know, struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. And it really goes into slow motion. You can see him just sort of falling, you know, between her feet he sank. He fell, he lay still. Between her feet, he's just each each twitch, each move as he slowly drops, just just savoring. He where he sank, there he fell, dead. And then we all start singing the wicked witch is dead. Uh, no, but that's kind of the same effect. There, there's, they, they want to celebrate that. That is to celebrate. And Israel is savoring Jael and her cleverness, her trickery, her boldness in doing what she did. But also, of course, that this was the Lord's deliverance through her. We had something like this just happen. Do you know Gaddafi's body was put in a freezer and displayed so people could come and see it? In the, in the, in the village in which much of his brutality took place, especially recently, his body was frozen and is on display so people can come see it. Who would want to see Gaddafi's body dead? I'll tell you who. Those women whose husbands he murdered. Those couples whose daughters he raped or his henchmen. Whose property he plundered whose lives he made miserable. They're the ones who wanted to see him where he sank, there he fell, dead. Ralph Davis in his commentary on judges, and he's, he's one of my favorites. He's really good, good commentator. He teaches Old Testament at RTS Jackson. He was a pastor at another PCA church, not the one I grew up in, but another one in Hattiesburg until so he retired from there recently. He puts it this way, because we read this and we're not really sure how to react. We think, well, it's pretty, pretty graphic, pretty gross. You know, well, why is this in our Bibles? This is what he says about it. I think he's dead on. He says, Yahweh's deliverance, the Lord's deliverance, is meant to be enjoyed, savored, cherished, item by item, detail by detail, blow by blow, from dish peg to mallet to skull to feet. Someone may think that's being vicious. It's not. It's being pious. Perhaps many of us in the West cannot rejoice when God smashes oppressors because we've never been so oppressed or crushed by tyranny on a significant scale, for which we should thank God. That's why we frequently fail to appreciate texts like this. We can't really understand them from our study chairs, from our padded pews, or from our recliners beside our cozy fireplaces. Nevertheless, Deborah clearly votes for Jael, servant of the Lord. Naturally, you can disagree. If so, you can claim more refinement, but less faith. Now, there's a, this ends with a theological application in verse 31, kind of a summary uh, of, of and a desire for the future. First of all, there's, there's this desire. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. we do want the downfall of God's enemies, and certainly in a new covenant context, we want their conversion, and we want them to cease to be enemies, of course, through their conversion, through their repentance, through their coming to Christ, like Saul of Tarsus, to go from being an enemy of the church to one of its chief proponents, one of its chief advocates and defenders, proclaimers. That's what we want. But you see, we want God's enemies to cease one way or the other, either because they become part of us or because God brings their efforts and ultimately they themselves to nothing. We do pray this when we pray thy kingdom come. You know, the catechism, uh, shorter catechism, question 26, describing Christ's office, as we referred to this morning, as a king, uh, says that one of the ways that Christ executes the office of a king is in subduing and in restraining all his and our enemies. See, when we pray, thy kingdom come, the kingship, the reign of Christ, we are praying for that kingdom to spread through people's conversion and being brought to Christ. We're also praying that if they will not repent, if they will not bow the knee to Christ, that they would be subdued, that they would be restrained, and ultimately that they would be destroyed. If they will not willingly bow and submit to King Jesus. So we're not all that far from Judges chapter 5 when we pray thy kingdom come. But then the second part of verse 31, uh, may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends, those on your side, be like the sun as he rises in his might. See, just as we want the enemies of the Lord to perish, either because they've become part of us or because God has brought them to utter failure, we want those who belong to the Lord to thrive, to prosper, to succeed, to grow. That's what we want. We want the kingdom of Christ to spread around this world until one day it's filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. A kingdom that will long outlast the United States of America. And that's what ultimately we are about. And the land had rest for 40 years. This is a celebration. It's a sort of a poetic retelling, but it's done in such a way as to commemorate and celebrate the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get excited about the victory of Christ in the world, about the victory of Christ in your own heart, about the victory of Christ in the lives of those around you? Does that move you? Does that excite you? Do you feel something of this kind of exuberance and just thinking about it, even retelling and reflecting on it, savoring the saving work of God in Christ Jesus? Does it excite you to think about the victory that's to come? You know, we we read a chapter like this, and it really is just a little bit of a foretaste of heaven where whatever else we'll be doing in the new heavens and new earth, we will forever celebrate the victory that God has won for us and over his enemies through the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, too often we celebrate trivial things in this world. Father, help us to celebrate those things that really do matter, those things that glorify you, those things that are your work in this world. Lord, cause us to be as excited, more excited about you and what you are doing, what you have done, what you will yet do in this world. Lord, that we, uh, whether we put it this way in poetry or not, would have hearts that celebrate All that you are and all that you have done forever and ever, we pray it in Christ's name, for his sake, his glory. Amen.